Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to These Go to 11. We have a special guest for you today, Steve Molesky. Steve, say hello. Hello. And of course, as always, Greg Dutcher. Greg, say hello. Hello. Steve, uh, you work for uh, Masson, correct? I do. You also write a blog. What's the name of that blog, just so viewers who are It doesn't are have a name. It doesn't have a catchy name like School of Rock, my colleague Rock Kabatko. Yeah. It's just Steve Molesky talks about the Orioles, okay. and people can find it on MassonSports.com. Uh, anybody that watches the Orioles is familiar with Masson, Mid-Atlantic Sports Network, the Orioles TV network. Well, their website extends which I work for, in addition to the TV network, is Masson, M-A-S-N, sports.com. And uh, we cover the Orioles and the Miners and blog. Once the season starts, the blogs will be churning out every couple hours. It seems like we're never off. Excellent, excellent. Um, and also, you are a regular on The Fan, correct? Talk to us a little bit about that. I've, I've been on with The Fan for many years. Uh, I worked there starting in 2007. Uh, and since then, I've been there in a variety of roles, a part of their Baltimore Baseball Tonight Oriole coverage, and hopefully we'll be involved with some things they do again this year. And the fan this year is the Oriole flagship station again. They were the flagship from 2007 to 2010. They went back to BAL, where they've been for many years, and then uh, a change again this winter. So w, uh, uh, WJZFM, the fan, 105.7 FM in Baltimore, will have the broadcast and uh, pretty exciting stuff. Nice. Very cool. Um, once again, thank you so much for joining us. Sure. Um, if you could give the fans just a little bit about you, um, family, friends, um, personal life, again, just for those who, who aren't familiar with you and maybe those who are familiar with you and don't know some things about uh, you. Well, I'm a, I'm a Baltimore kid, so I've got, I think I've got the perfect job. I mean, when I was a kid uh, growing up in Overly and realized I would never be good enough to play for the Orioles, one of the things I thought about was I love Chuck Thompson and radio. Wow, how great it would be one day to be a reporter around the Orioles. So I'm living that dream. I really am. Uh, and so uh, you, I know uh, your, your guy's good friend, Scott Perry, is, yes. is a friend of mine for many years going back to middle school. That's how I know I've got connected with you guys, Pastor Greg. Uh, and Scott's a great guy, as you know. We went to high school together at Perry Hall, graduated in 78. I went on to Towson, got into radio, which took me to Frederick, Maryland for five years, Richmond, Virginia for about 10. All the while, I wanted to get back to my hometown of Baltimore. I finally found someone who would hire me and bring me back to town. <laughs> and I, I was on WBAL radio for six years. And uh, we, we parted ways there. We didn't quite see eye to eye on some things. So eventually, I, I, I left uh, I left that. And that, at the time, was my dream job because I was hosting Oriole shows at WBAL. But uh, I found my way back to Oriole coverage through Masson. And uh, love what I do. That's great. That's well, great. Well, Stephen, I just have to chime in there. I, I'm sorry. I didn't hear anything you said after you said that Scott Perry has a friend. <laughs> that um, <laughs> I'm not sure what to do with that information. Uh, Scott is actually one of the first persons named on this podcast because he came in one night, interrupted us during the podcast, was banging uh, on the glass through there. But no, yeah. it was our fault, Scott. I know you're listening. It was our fault because we didn't tell you we were podcasting that night. Greg, was that the same night you weren't wearing any pants? Yes, I wasn't wearing pants. Steve, don't wow. ask any questions. Uh, okay. Yeah, you uh, you don't want to ask any questions yeah. on that. But I, I was wrapped up in a blanket, covered in a previous podcast. And if, if well, I, can... I do hear that during Oriole games, there's a usually a uh, 
a uh, very active text uh, action going on between you and Scott. Yes. And I get a few of them. And then I always tell him the next day, you can't text me in the seventh <laughs> inning. I'm, I'm writing stories. I don't have time yes. to, to talk to you via text during the late innings of an Oriole game. Scott will often tell me, man, I got to ask Molesky this. As if he, I think he thinks you've got the pipeline to buck. Show Walter, right that you can you can ask him in the middle of the game. Scott why he thinks made he a can decision. text me in the top of the seventh, and I can text Buck and get back to him in the eighth. <laughs> yeah. So not not quite. Yes, uh, and I, I have to ask. So you grew up uh, in in Perry Hall because uh, you went to Perry Hall High. Is that right? Steve? Well, I was born uh, in Overly, Maryland. Okay, um, and so born and raised on beautiful Third Street, Overly, and then sure. went, in fact uh, went to uh, Catholic school, St. Michael's, Overly for my first five years of school. Then my family moved to Kingsville uh, when I was going the summer before sixth grade. So then I started to go to uh, Kingsville Elementary for a year, sure. then Perry Hall Middle, then Perry Hall Senior. And uh, I keep moving up the Blair Road Corridor because I yeah. was born in Overly. <laughs> then we moved to Kingsville, and now I'm in Hartford County, further yes. up Blair Road and live in uh, Abingdon. Yes, yes. And uh, I asked that because uh, you also know Mark Shiflett, who I is do, yes. a member here. And you guys were... What, 1977, Perry Hall was at 78, your class? graduating 78, class. 78, that's yes. right. And uh, he told me recently that I never knew this, that Earl Weaver lived like in a quote-unquote regular home in Perry Hall. Yeah. I think in his neighborhood. Yeah. I I mean, didn't, we didn't see him like when we were driving to school or anything, but yeah. he was uh, he was in the neighborhood and, you know, Earl was just a regular guy. He didn't need a big fancy home. Wow. And, you know, Perry Hall's a nice community, but, sure, we're, sure. but we're not exactly uh, top, you know, uh, the top richest homes in the country or anything. So, um, uh, yeah, Earl Weaver lived in Perry Hall. Wow. That is something. The great Earl. Mm-hmm. I never knew him. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Steve, uh, just uh, tell us a little bit about, um, your spiritual outlook on life. We are a faith-based, um, you know, sure. podcast here. And so we just want to know a little bit about, um, your, your background and, and your, um, you know, again, your spiritual outlook on life, um, maybe even how that influences your, um, perspective in, in baseball. Well, um, I am Catholic and was raised Catholic by my parents and, you know, uh, I guess I would not describe us as devoutly Catholic. Uh, my parents are deceased for many years now, but, um, and, and I'm probably, uh, knock on wood here. The, the priest would probably say not the best Catholic I should be over recent years in terms of church attendance or anything like that. But I mean, I, I for me, I think it comes down to, um, uh, kind of believe in that do unto others philosophy. You know, you have to treat others as you want to be treated. You have to respect others. And these are values my parents raised me with, uh, you know, that that could involve the church or just could involve life. And so that's how I try to uh, live my life. I'm not perfect as no human is. We all make mistakes. We do things we wish we could have back. But uh, I think you, if you just try to treat most people with uh, respect and love your family and the values that I, I got when I was three and four and five and six. I, I hope I carry today because uh, I think my parents did a good job with four kids. Yeah. Oh wow. Wow. Where did you uh, Where did you rank, Stephen? That four. I'm the youngest. I'm the baby. The baby. Yep. Fifty five year old baby right yeah. now. <laughs> Very cool. Um, and we are um, going to transition more into um, specifically the Orioles and, and your perspective and things like that. But just um, one more question um, have here for you. Um, you know, know that you're not um, an expert on the the spiritual and religious commitment of players. Um, but have you ever seen an outspoken player um, in regards to their faith um, 
that this caused problems for them um, in in the overall community um, at large? I, I haven't. Uh, I think we don't hear players invoke religion or religious beliefs very often. I mean, in the Oriole Clubhouse, I never hear it. And that there may be very mer- very spiritual men, but they're not talking about it, you know, with reporters or in mm-hmm. interviews or anything. And I mean, I, I think... We're naive if we think as reporters we know these ball players sure. because mm-hmm. we're around them for interviews. We're not with them in their life. Uh, I think we know we have a sense of them. You can get a sense of a person, obviously. But uh, like Chris Davis, you can follow him on Twitter, and he'll have, uh, I believe, he, he'll he'll put out some spiritual or or Bible verses. I'm not even sure he does, exactly yeah. where you know. Uh, but that. but you can tell it's very meaningful to him. But I've never heard him talk about that, and he's never addressed it in an interview. And and frankly, uh, as a reporter, I feel like their private life is their private life. I don't go mm. interview them about their kids sure. or their wife or their dog. You know, I yeah. need to know about their baseball, and that right. that's 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 the only thing. It's fair game. Now, if something happens in their life. Uh, the birth of a child that takes them away from the team, then, yeah. then fans need to know about that, and we report on that. Um, so um, uh, that's probably the the extent of it. And I've, I've never really known a player um, to get in trouble. I've known players to get in trouble with things they've said, but usually it hasn't been tied to their faith. Okay. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Tied to something else, I'm sure. Yes. And, uh, you know, the only reason we're really curious about that, Steve, Nathan and I are hoping by the end of this podcast – you will somehow have worked us into a chaplaincy role in the Orioles <laughs> so that we might get seats. <laughs> o- only so that we can spread our faith o- there, Nate. Only. It has nothing to do reason. with the <laughs> enjoyment of the game. I, I will say one thing is there are there is a Sunday service, oh, okay. and, there, and there are religious uh, uh, personnel around the team. Mm-hmm. And I've seen some of uh, you know, the priests, the father who has the mass. They have a they have a, a mass of sorts on Sunday. They'll have it at the ballpark. And I think this has been uh, a, a tradition in baseball for many years because a lot of times Sunday they're sure, not around sure, to yeah. go there yeah. to their regular church. So um, uh, you do see players. You know, you hear a play. We're going. You know, we're going to chapel or go to church or, or you know, it's out of the view of the media. So sure. I don't know where they're where they're at and, and what's happening. But it's a service of sorts that they have. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I've often wondered about that, Steve, because six months out of the year, like you said, these guys don't have a chance to yeah. go to church because they're they're. I mean, uh, so they have a Sunday one game. What time are they typically at the ballpark? Okay, Sunday game. Let's say most are one thirty now in Baltimore. Yeah. I mean, uh, Sunday is typically a day that the manager lets them uh, arrive a little later. Let's say a weekday game. Let's say a seven o'clock game. I think players w- w- and the media is not allowed in the clubhouse until around three. Okay. But players will be there an hour or two before that. I mean, you guys might be hitting in a cage at two. I mean, baseball mm-hmm. players work mm-hmm. extremely hard before the first pitch of the game is thrown. Sure. Uh, batting practice and interviews and fielding practice and 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 video and and pre meetings with the advanced meetings where they talk about the opponent. What's important to know the next three nights against the Toronto Blue Jays? Uh, it's uh, the the video and and the you know the, the, now players can come in and watch there at bat you know right after it happened and they can yeah. slow it down and they can say I want to see that curveball that got me out and they can you know they can just wow. you know and then then the next time they're up 
they looked at the video, you know, about how he got him out. So, I mean, and the pitcher can do the same. He can yeah. come in and say, that guy hit a home run off me. I want to see where that pitch was. And he can come in after he gave it up in the second inning and watch it before the third inning starts. I mean, it's wow. pretty remarkable. Uh, so they're there a long time. Sunday's so usually a little later. Maybe, maybe players are not asked to report 10-ish or 9, 30, 10, uh, which is a little later than normal. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, I, I have to ask you then, I guess, did, uh, did Chris Davis watch a lot of videos last year? <laughs> I'm sure yeah. he did. He probably <laughs> combined watching them. That was, uh, that was for Scott. Did, did Scott ever express irritation with Davis's, I've uh, never known Scott to be irritated <laughs> with anything. The Orioles. He's very, he's very, during the games is particularly, he's very level headed. He's very relaxed. Right. Oh yeah. Uh, Scott, Scott's gotten a little more, uh, Hyper as he's gotten older yeah, with it's baseball. The age thing, yes. Yeah, years ago, being down two runs in the seventh wouldn't bother him as much. Right, right. No, I, I can tell you, Steve, my role in his life as his friend and pastor is to calm him. No, that's not true. He's, 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 he told me it was the other yeah. way around. <laughs> I think that's true. I, I share that with him. Uh, hey, I mean, isn't that great about sports, though? It's the oh, passion. And yeah. I mean, it's one of the things that's made our blog successful is I like to think uh, that we interact with fans at MassInSports.com as much as any reporter out there. Yes. And I mean, now you have to. Yeah. I think there are some reporters who, who wish it were 20 years ago and you wrote your story and you didn't worry about it. Now you write your story and fans write to you about your story right. and you write them back. Yes. And mm-hmm. on Twitter and on Facebook and on our blogs, I mean, it's constant interaction and I actually like it. Now, now the thing about it, you have to understand, and you guys hear radio shows, is most fans that reach out to you are reaching out because they're frustrated with something. They're not right. reaching out to go, I love this team. This is the greatest <laughs> week of my life. They're reaching out to say, how can he put a ball to out there and why did he hit for this guy you know so uh and some of them are really out there so uh we see some interesting things but i think we in the end you have to realize they're passionate and you try to have patience but like scott will tell you because i'll vent to him yeah like you we're all venting to each other about various aspects and i'll vent to him about scott it's noon and i've already interacted with 10 crazy fans oh yeah who want to jump off the ledge and i feel like i should beat my head into the wall and i haven't even had lunch yet you know yeah yeah. i got 12 more hours of this but i mean you try to step back and understand they're passionate, they care about the team, and they're reading your blog. They yes. could be spending time somewhere else, so yes. I try to keep that in mind. No, but I, uh, Steve, I've read your blog, and I'm not just buttering you up because uh, Steve's not getting a hefty check here today, everybody. <laughs> He's just here of his own kindness, and, and that's what, it, it, it is a great blog. And it's true, you write something now, there, there's immediate feedback. Immediate, yes. It, it's not like, as you said 20 years ago, maybe if somebody cared enough to write a letter to the editor kind of thing, right. you, know, you would get word of that. But it, it's so immediate. And we're actually going to do uh, a couple of podcasts coming up in the future where we're going to touch on social media. Yeah. Um, and, and my theory on that, you know, for whatever it's worth, is mm-hmm. that uh, social media can turn cowards into bullies. People oh, that, yes. if, if they were sitting with you, and they were just at a bar having a beer down at Pickles or something, and they disagreed with you, they're not likely going to say the things they would to you in the manner that they say them. But when they're behind a keyboard and they've got all that built-in anonymity, it's terrible. Twitter's the worst, and I've had conversations – uh, with players about this because you can send twi- – if a player's on Twitter, you can write to them. 
Yeah. If he strikes out in the seventh inning with the bases loaded before he's in the dugout, someone's writing to him on Twitter calling him a bum or worse. Sure. Usually worse. Yeah. And we see it too because they'll link the reporters. And I tell players, I said, I see what I get. Yeah. I can only imagine what you guys are getting when you have a rough day. Yeah. And, and you know, that that's where people get in trouble because you want – I've had players tell me, I wanted to light that guy up, Oh, man. sure. I wanted to write him back. And I'm like, you know what? Great move by you for just – don't scroll through the next one. Yeah, Don't even, absolutely. And I do it too. I, I, I'll, I'll go back at fans sometimes. Um, and, and I think some of that is, is necessary because I think, and I, when I did the radio, when I've done radio talk, I've said on my show all the time, if if you don't want me to disagree with you, don't call in. Because if I disagree with you, I will say it. Right. We need to have mm-hmm. a frank conversation. Absolutely. This, this doesn't need yeah. to be just kissing each other's you know what. Yeah. If you call me in and say something crazy about the Orioles, I'm going to say, that's crazy. Right. And if you don't like me saying that, you got the wrong show. But I've also had fans tell me repeatedly that is what they like about the show. Yeah. They don't mm-hmm. want to hear a host just say, great call, great point, next, Joe, great, oh, brilliant. They want to hear you say, that. come on, man, that's nuts. What are you talking about? And so that doesn't mean you're always right, but the back and forth, uh, that's where we're at with social media now. And so, but you do have to be careful. So you do, before you hit publish, yeah. I've done this too. I said, take 10 seconds and look <laughs> at that again. <laughs> because, you know, people lose jobs over, over, over one or two sentences oh, they absolutely. put out. It's, it's so, uh, it's, 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 it's a blessing and a curse. Yeah. 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 I, uh, uh, I've learned to do that, Steve. Honestly, that, that actually impacts church life, believe it or not, where, you know, every so often you'll get an email that is, um, less than charitable, you know, and mm-hmm. you get this email that's sort of uh, hitting you, you know, out of the blue, and it's so easy to to, to want to draw blood with a keyboard. So what I've done, right. w- one, I've learned, I'll try to resolve an issue in person, uh, and I'll use email to set it up, because I just think, man, you're likely going to not be able to resolve the issue in an email, because mm-hmm. uh, yeah. you don't get tone, you don't get facial expression and posture and all that nuance. So uh, the other thing I'll do when I do have to send an email because of distance or time or whatever, mm. I'll let my wife read it. And I can't tell you the amount of times she's, yeah, you can't. You, know, you, you, <laughs> no, you can't send it's, that. It's a great idea. It's a great <laughs> idea because your, your position is you are a man of reason and, and doesn't just, just jump with the first thought and, and, and is understanding of, of people. And so, uh, it, but it's hard because take, take that, those, uh, you know, and multiply it by a thousand, you know, which is what we get now. It's just, it's social media on speed. It's yeah. out of control. It's, it's like now, and I told Scott, if something happens wrong in the game and I go on my Twitter, I'll have 15 people come complain about it within a minute right if mm-hmm. you know somebody gives yeah. up a grand slam and the Orioles go from up two to down two yeah all I have to do is look on my Twitter and see that guy getting skewed oh absolutely people. and it's not just you know what a lousy pitch it's a far worse and so those are the people who aren't thinking before they hit publish no no and I, I would just like to note uh Nathan our first true broadcasting professional just called me a man of reason. Could you just stop the podcast right there? <laughs> I'll, I'll edit that out yes. later. Yeah. <laughs> Shoot, I knew I should have called attention to it. Um, no, that is uh, that's neat, Steve. Hey, I do have a question All right. that I'm going to read directly from my phone because okay. my uh, one of our faithful li- uh, listeners, my dad, um, knew that you were going to be on here. So let me see his question. He's the, he's the second listener after your mother. I right? think so. Yeah, for the first week, it was my mom and dad. And um, then Nathan and I would, the word. yeah. Then, then Nathan and I would listen to it. But we we moved up, which is which is great. Uh, let's see. My father's asking this question for you. He says, "Did right. we did we take a step back with last year's draft? Uh, Aberdeen team was non-competitive again, unlike 2013, 
or was it just a lack of our top two picks? Your thoughts on well, that? Well, I mean, uh, they did uh, not have high draft picks. They, the first pick they made was 90 wow. overall. Wow. Remember, remember the years when they picked fourth and took sure. Kevin Gosman yeah. or took uh, third and took Manny Machado. When yeah. you're picking 90th, there's a big difference in the quality of the player. You still can get a good one, yeah. but you're, you're probably not going to get Machado at pick 90. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that, that hurt, and they lost those picks for signing uh, Cruz and Jimenez. And so it, it's, it's kind of the price of doing business when you're a good team. The Orioles that were losing would never want to give up draft picks. That's how right. they were supposed to get back to being good. And Dan Duquette now believes in draft picks. They have five of the first 102 this June, yeah. and, and they're probably going to lose some free agents and they're going to gain some draft picks at the end of this year so this year and next year should be plentiful for the Orioles with draft picks but the other part of that is the record in the minor leagues I won't say it's totally meaningless Uh but it it really in terms of players that will help the Orioles uh if the Frederick Keys have a great record that doesn't necessarily mean they have more players that will help the Orioles sure. than a year where they don't. Yeah. Because it's really, at, uh, especially at the minor leagues, which I cover, if you have 25 on a roster, you probably realistically only have a couple, Nate, on one hand, yeah. who could be major league players. Right. So mainly you're looking at a roster of players who are living their dream but are not going to make it to the top level and a few that might. And it's yeah. really about that few. Yeah. When I broadcast Aberdeen games – the three years I did it in the mid-2000s, the team with the worst record had the most prospects. Wow. Uh, mm. We had a horrible record, and they had Garrett Olson, Radimus Lees, and Nolan Reimold, who have all made the major leagues. Yeah, uh, None of them are superstars by any stretch, obviously, but they made it. Yeah. And I think if you were to take an Aberdeen roster and go five years forward, there, there usually will not be a lot of guys who go all the way from that low level of the minors all the way to the Baltimore Orioles. Yeah. So the Orioles could put more experienced players in Aberdeen and win more games, yeah. but that wouldn't be serving the larger purpose of we have to find uh, nuggets, as Buck would say. Sure. And so you can find nuggets – uh, you know, you want people say you want to build that winning feeling in the minors. You do, you yeah. do, you do want that. But pl- but building, developing players in the minor league supersedes everything because you see managers make moves that you wouldn't make if you had to win that game. Sure. But a pitcher needs to work. Yeah. This guy needs to pitch the eighth inning. But I got a better guy who could get the outs right now, and we yeah. we'd win. But yeah, but Baltimore said that this guy needs to pitch the eighth inning tonight. Yeah. So you see moves in the minor leagues. You know, pitch your innings. They, they early in the season, they don't pitch a lot of innings because right. they're they're just trying to do things for the long haul for player development. Interesting, Steve, because I love the feel uh, of minor league baseball. I'm, I'm yeah, by no too. means no means an expert. You certainly are, and I know you 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 know so much about it. Um, if you're a minor league fan, you're 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 a regular, you know, in Bowie or up at uh, Ripken Stadium, or you're you're anywhere. Um, I mean, it's got to be a different experience because yeah. uh, of what you just said. I mean, if a manager is making a choice that is not necessarily to win that game, but right. to develop a pitcher, to give somebody a rest, etc. I mean, do you, do you think that most minor league fans that are truly committed fans get that? I, I think a small percentage do. Yeah. I, I think the minor leagues 
more even so than the major leagues, is about a family fun night out. Yes. The tickets mm-hmm. are cheaper. The food is cheaper. You're closer to the players. You may not know many of the players, yeah. but you're having a fun night out. When I lived in Richmond and broadcast Richmond Braves games, they sold out weekend games. Yeah. But most of the fans in the stadium couldn't tell you who the shortstop was. Sure. But it was, it was a thing to do on a Richmond summer night. Go yeah. to the Diamond, watch the ball game with yeah. the family, yep. your friends, and, and let's have fun. And so that's what the minor leagues are selling. And the minor leagues are selling it and doing incredibly well. Uh, their attendance is amazing. Uh, the minor leagues are really thriving now. Yeah. Um, uh, and the major leagues are too. They're both doing well. Baseball is very healthy. Um, but it's very different. Between innings, acts going on, yeah. fun. There's a, you know, a fair, you know, a little uh, a merry-go-round in right field. The yeah. kids can ride you that you don't see at major league parks a lot. It's a very different experience. But I think it's a pretty special experience. Yeah, I, I was just at the Richmond Park last summer, which is now the Flying Squirrels. Right. Which is what, double A, I Double A, yes. So you were there when, uh, when it was the Braves, yeah. and, and you were, were you the color guy for that? Well, we, I was like, uh, in, in minor leagues, a lot of times you have a main announcer who travels every game, yeah. and you have a home games only announcer who's like the number two guy who okay. helps out. At the home games. And yeah. that's what I did for, for, for four years with the Richmond Braves. And I have a ring here to prove it. Internationally Champions 1989, hey. which I still wear. I'll awesome. show you when we finish. Um, and that was some great players were on that team that went on to play for the Atlanta Braves. Wow. But um, uh, so, yeah, I was the home games only broadcaster. I made one or two road trips just because I wanted to experience it. Yeah. It was not mm-hmm. necessarily set up for me to do that. I actually took vacation time and told the number one guy, I'm going to use my vacation because I want to, you know, this is, I want to see it. Yeah. I want to go on a road trip with, with you guys. And so it was, it was great. You know, you, you call, you brought, did the play by play of the middle three innings yep. and color the first three and the last three. And so I love doing baseball play-by-play, and you may know I've gotten to do a handful of Oreo games. Yes, it's yes. about eight or ten. I should know the exact number, uh, but so that's uh, for me that's as good as it gets. No, yeah. that's great. When too. I sat in that, but the last game I did, it's been many years now. It's probably been four or five years. Sat next to Joe Angel. I just took it in. Wow. I said, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm taking this in because yeah. I may never do this again. I may right. never do it again. And I just sat back and I said, I'm doing a game with Joe Angel today, Orioles Nationals on a beautiful Sunday. And and I don't care if I botched the call. I'm just, I'm just this is the great, this is, this is unbelievable. Wow. So that's what I did. I made it that way. Now, wow. Steve, uh, staying on this track a little bit, Al Myers, um, actually, who you met just earlier today, um, he does a lot of stuff around here for the church. He had a question for you, too, okay. that he was interested in because you have traveled around, you have seen different um, ballparks, and you know, you've experienced different ballparks. Which one would you say... Um, Overall, in terms of you know the the positioning of um, seating for fans, in terms of food quality, food pricing, all of that stuff, which one, um, both major and minor league, is your favorite place to go? Well, you know, I, I should uh, start the answer to this by saying I haven't been to that many major league visiting parks my colleague rock does the road trip so yeah. he he mm-hmm. would give you a better answer for the major leagues you know you you hear repeatedly about pnc park in pittsburgh mm-hmm. and at&t in san francisco neither one i've been to mm-hmm. if the orioles had gotten to the world series oh. i would have made it to san right, francisco right. last year yeah. but they didn't and i you hear great things about those parks and you always hear it about the baltimore i do think the orioles yeah. uh you know i'm sound like i'm being a homer here but if you really work at it you can save dollars, you can do specials, you yep. can get promotions, you know, 10 buck night in the upper deck, yep. whatever they call it, Bali's bargain night. I mean, there are things they do 
to keep it pretty fan friendly. And I think over the years, it's proven their their pricing is mid mid range, maybe even a little below that compared to some other teams. Yeah. I'll tell you two ballparks when I did the Ironbirds that if you ever have a chance to go to, do it uh, in the New York Penn League, and they're in New York City. Hmm. Uh, one is in Brooklyn. Uh, the Brooklyn Cyclones, and one is in Staten Island, uh, New York. The Staten Island Yankees play there. The Brooklyn ballpark is in Coney Island. Wow. And from the press box, the view is spectacular. Over right field is the boardwalk in the Atlantic Ocean. Wow. Over left field is the rides of Coney Island, including the famous Cyclone ride. Yeah, the other, oh, you wow. know, uh, And it's just, you, you sit there and you look out and you're like, this is unbelievable. On a Friday night, they shoot fireworks over the beach, which happens while the game is going on. <laughs> wow. You know, fireworks are going off. Yeah. And in Staten Island, the view is of Manhattan across the, the oh, water yeah. Yeah. and the Statue of Liberty. And the first time I was there after 9-11, it was so sad to look yeah, over there and yeah. go, oh, man. How, the, how that must have looked, you know, wow. at that time. But I, I would find myself, this is the only time this ever happened to me, it was a little unprofessional, looking at the lights and the, and the, and the vessels in the water yeah. and, you know, missing a pitch once going, holy cow, dude, dude, during the commercial, I'm like, I'm like having a talk with myself. It's like, stare at it now, don't stare at it during the game. Yeah. But I mean, it was just breathtaking. Wow. So if you ever have, I think it's called Richmond County, Bank Ballpark in Staten Island, and I don't know what they call it now, some corporate name ballpark in Brooklyn, but they're, uh, for minor leagues, lower level, Yeah, fantastic ballparks, great views, great atmospheres, and so every when I was with Aberdeen, that was a real treat. You had the hassles of New York City, and sure, there are many, sure. yeah. but when mm. you got to the ballpark, it's like, wow. Man, yeah. man. Huh. I, Road trip, road I know, trip, right? Road go trip, see, go right. see the Ironbirds when the, on that that trip, and and look at the schedule and take like the last night of the Brooklyn series and the first night of Staten Island. In two nights, you could see them both, and you you will not be. Uh, Unhappy, you did. Wow! I, I think that's going to be uh, one of our end of summer podcasts. I think so. The, uh, the fields <laughs> of USA. Yes, yeah. I like it. I like it. Uh, we need donations so people yeah. <laughs> can start bringing. Oh wait, I'm not supposed to say that right now. Um, no, but uh, you're right. That that San Fran ballpark. I mean, everybody oh, yeah. watches on TV. I mean, mm-hmm. that thing is riveting to watch. That the water Certainly is. Uh, yeah, man, I wanted to get out there, Steve, last year. Uh, by the way, Nathan is being a great sport because Nathan is. Um, we don't like to speak of it much, but he is a New Englander. Uh, ah. So if he had any allegiance, it would be to Boston uh, and, uh, you know, the Patriots. We just – Of course. Yeah, we don't, we don't speak of it too Right. Much. We, we just edit that out. Yes. But see, Steve, what, this is the kind of church we are. We're a grace-extending church. We take people like Nathan into, into our midst. And, and even let them host podcasts. Right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it can only be mentioned no more than one out of every ten. Uh, you know, Boston is a great city. And ironically, the only time I've been in Fenway Park, there wasn't a game. Oh, it, was, wow. it was during a tour I took when I was doing college baseball at Florida State. I'm throwing my whole resume at you here today. But when I was with the Florida State Seminoles, we played Boston College. Oh. And one of the guys from the baseball program worked a private tour for the baseball team. As soon as wow. we got off the plane, we went right to Fenway Park by bus and went all over the ballpark. And it was wow. really cool to be. And I said, wow, I wish I could be here during a game. But at least I got to see it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I love that scene. I'm, I'm sure you've seen, uh, you've seen Moneyball, haven't you, Steve? Yes. That that scene where Pitt, as as Billy Bean, is is there at the end where he's being courted, exactly, know, to, to take the job in uh, that Boston. one and, and Fever Pitch. Your personal, oh, Fever Pitch, yeah. a personal yeah. favorite of your friend Scott's. <laughs> yes. uh, mine too. I like that movie. That was what Fallon, Jimmy Fallon, <laughs> yeah, as Fallon. the Nutty yep. fan, and Drew Barrymore. Drew Barrymore yeah. 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 
After when that movie came out, Joy's grandmother bought a copy of that movie for every single person in the family. <laughs> is that right? Yeah, no, no lie. Every yeah. single person in the family got a copy of that movie. That that is a great movie. That is a if you if you love baseball and if you don't love baseball, and want to understand people that do that are obsessed yeah, with exactly. it. Yeah, uh, exactly. That is the kind of movie to to watch. A uh, couple of particulars here, Steve, because I'm right. just thank you so much for your time. Oh, you got it. Uh, this year, little spring preview. Uh, obviously, a lot of talk about the pitching rotation. Yep. Because we've got what seems to be six starters. Right. And Ubaldo has messed this all up by actually pitching fairly well recently. Fairly well, yes. Uh, much better than like Norris has not had a good no, spring. No. Which I'm, I love Bud Norris, by the way. I, I don't know how you feel about him. Yeah. So I just I I love his bulldog mentality that he brings. Um, so who do you think is the odd man out? And please tell me it's not Kevin Gossman. <laughs> well, I think it might be at the start. Ouch. And the way it seems like they're setting it up for next week is that Tillman will go that first game, Chen game two, Miguel Gonzalez game three. They come home for the home opener, which will be Bud probably. Yeah. Then we'll see. Then they have a couple of options here because they have a day off. Tillman could come back okay. uh, before they need a fifth starter. So Buck has the option to go right back to his number one uh, the day he, so the so-called number five would pitch. Now, that could alter some roster uh, manipulation they do here, whether they need a fifth starter and when they need it. When they do, I think it's going to be Ubaldo and that Gosman will either go to the pen or AAA. I do think that'll be temporary because fans love his talent. The Orioles love his talent, too. What What's happening here is... As Buck has said, we won't let options work against him, but it, 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 it overrides everything yeah. because you're trying to maximize your talent. Yeah. And so you don't want to just let a good player go because he doesn't have options and we got to put this guy on. So there's a lot of things going on where they're trying to maximize their talent between AAA and the major leagues. You need pitching depth. Uh, they used 20 pitchers last year. Yep. They're probably going to need 20 or more this year. So the 10 or 12 they start with will just be the 10 or 12 they start with. Yeah, yeah. When you were in Florida, uh, Steve, Steve was telling us before the podcast, you were down there really suffering in your job. Yeah. Uh, 82 degrees every day. Beautiful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> For about 10 days. Groundhog day of good weather. Oh, my goodness. And uh, did, did you see Norris pitch? I did. I and did, yes. What did he do when, when you saw him? Because he, I, I've he been just, surprised. Yeah, he didn't. he's not having a good spring. And so he says he feels great, and the health is the biggest issue. And he says he's, he's working on things. And so when it comes to a veteran player like Jones or Hardy or Norris or Chen, I don't get too bent out of shape over great stats or poor stats. Yeah. Because I do think Bud Norris, we know, this guy – when the bell's on, he he's he wants it. Yeah. He's he uh, where most pitchers are taught don't show your emotions. Bud can't help himself. Yeah, Bud is yeah, an emotion. Like he's him. an emotional, passionate guy. You hear his interviews. He talks 100 miles an hour. Bud's just in your face. That's Bud, and I think that's one thing that makes him good. Yeah, because he is that way. and He cares so much, and 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 he and Buck kind of, I didn't say he took a shot at him, but he kind of. You know, you could read between the lines of his comments after a recent start was kind of like, I hope he gets it going here a little bit. Yeah. But the Oreo, he's not going to lose the rotation spot over his uh, his poor spring. And I do think we see it every year. A pitcher has an ADRA in March and, and then starts April and he pitches a shutout or something crazy. We see yeah. it every year. Yeah. Well, um, also a question or two about the the offseason. Uh, even though I intellectually know going into the offseason – Orioles aren't going to do much. We're going to have to suffer every day watching, 
you know, whoever, you know, the Angels make their move, Toronto right. make their moves, all these other players buying up these big names, and the Orioles don't really do anything. I know that intellectually to not panic. Uh, I, I, I always am panicking and getting upset that we're not doing anything. I mean, how do you feel, Steve, about what we've done in the offseason? Well, here's what happened to me. They made business, cold, hard business decisions. Yeah. Uh, and they looked at Nick, and they looked at Cruz, and they said, this is at a price we were not willing to pay. Yeah. And, I'll, and I'll use another example, because we're going to see him this year with the Red Sox, Pablo Sandoval, yeah. a very fan favorite, by the way, with the team that has won the World Series three of the last five years, that that team had a number on, like the Orioles did with Nick, and they let him walk. Yeah. Pablo Sandoval, three yeah. World Series wins, fan favorite, good player, and the Giants the best team in baseball, yeah. said, that's too much for us. So every team has a price, and then the Orioles put a value on these players, and with Dan Duquette, it's, it's a cold, hard value. Yeah. And so uh, in the case of, of Snyder, they're getting a player who at 20% of Nick's salary could produce 80% of his production. Yeah. And if he does, that's a, that's a net win for the Orioles, who are a team that is not going to be throwing out hundred million dollar contracts. Right. But but they are. But they do want to sign Tillman now long term. Yep. They got all these free agents coming up, so all the all this money is tied together. Okay. That I'm not saying because Nick Walk means they're going to sign Tillman, but but there it's there's there's a finite amount in the circle yep. of dollars. And you can't sign everybody. There's no way the Orioles can sign Weeders and Tillman and Manny yep. and have all these players and give them all 10 or $15 million a year. And then they'll look up and go, we have a $200 million payroll. We can't afford it. And so um, they just run it the way they do. As you said, we know they're not going to spend a lot of big money very often. Um, they did on a ball, though. There right. may be some others where they're willing to fork out some dollars. And they know they're going to have to pony up for some guys eventually. Uh, but but you know that that's that's where you have to have a Travis Snyder come in and at two million dollars give you the value. Yeah, uh, and it's not them being cheap; it's them making the puzzle work. Yeah, yeah. Fill us in about him, uh, Snyder, for anybody that doesn't know, because obviously this is a baseball-heavy podcast, Nathan. And there, <laughs> yes. there might be some people. Say, oh, I didn't know that, but some people are going to love it and. We're just excited to do it. Absolutely. Uh, so if you don't love it, uh, sorry. Uh, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're doing another one too tomorrow. Uh, but we love this. And uh, Snyder uh, was a pirate uh, right. last year. Uh, tell us a little bit about him. What do you see in him? Uh, you know, may, maybe what you see, and the Orioles hope they see this, is a player who's finally started the lights bulbs come on at yeah. an older age, uh, like a Pierce. Yes. Um, because Snyder was, he was that top prospect who everybody was so excited to see get to the majors. Yeah. And then when he got there, he kind of floundered. Yeah. I mean, he was a top, he was one of those top 10 prospects, elite. Yeah. Think, think Manny Machado at, in his day years ago. And then it didn't work out for him, and he kind of floundered. And finally last year, he had a decent year. He had a big second half, and the Orioles are hope they're catching him on the upswing. He's, he's in a good place, as Buck would say. Yeah. He's a very uh, meticulous, regimented guy, in my observation, at spring training. He was in the clubhouse one day, and he was just, like, doing this with his bat, and this is not good for radio, but he's kind of, like, swinging it back and forth. Yeah. And I went up to ask him to do an interview. I thought he was just kind of goofing around, but he was actually in the middle of, like, a routine he does. Wow. Because he kind of looked up at me like, 
you're interrupting me. And yeah. he goes, yeah, I can get you in five minutes. I'm like, oh, cool. I'll, I'll, no problem. Yeah. And I walked away and I told my colleague Rock, I said, man, Snyder was like in a trance or something over there. <laughs> he was doing like these exercises. His eyes were bugged out. But that's, he's very, you know, he, he, he told the Baltimore Sun in a great interview that he, he, watched, he take, videotapes his batting practice. I mean, the guy is really, wow. he's cerebral. Yeah. And so, and they asked Buck about it and Buck is like, hey, what work, whatever works, man. Yeah. You know, if you're watching three hours of film makes you hit 280, then watch three hours of film, whatever right. works for you. He wants the players to to be the like he says they're individuals, and Travis Snyder won't approach the game the same way this other guy might. So he's very cerebral, meticulous, uh, and he's an articulate guy to interview. Now we have to see if he has another good year like he did last year. Yeah, uh, Weeders. Do you think he walks at the end of the season? Probably so. Yeah, probably so. It, you know, big year for him because if this injury nags him all year and he doesn't put up the statistics, yeah. Then all of a sudden, that hundred million dollar contract is out the window. Yeah. No one's going to throw a hundred million at a catcher who, who it, let's say it's it's a it's kind of a, a rough year for him. Then that'll be two years in a row he didn't do a lot yeah. through the, in through this elbow, and no one's going to say, oh, oh, well he'll be fine next year. Give him a hundred million. All of right. a sudden, all of a sudden, maybe he is back with the Orioles because his value diminishes greatly. Yeah, and uh, Weeders uh, has always intrigued me i mean obviously you know defensively that's what keeps him in the mix he's amazing right. um offensively obviously i know he's frustrating to a lot of fans right. because you'll see him you know hit these great shots and then he'll, he'll go 20 games where he seems to do nothing uh but uh my my sense with weeders is that he is still he, he he's got high value that teams like new york and uh, remember that a few years ago buck was even talking about that yeah yeah um yeah we'll we'll have interest in him um do you see him, Steve, if, if catching doesn't work out, if this Tommy John surgery uh, is not as uh, promising as they would hope, is he built for another position? Don't know. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's just never really played it. I mean, could he be first base? Could he be a DH? You know, then the value goes way down. Yeah. Because his hitting is okay, but it's not – he's not Nelson Cruz at his peak. So, yeah. I thought he was on his way to that finally that big year that Oriole fans have been hoping for last year. Yeah, he looked he great. Out, he looked great early in the season. He made some adjustments with his hands, and sometimes it's a little thing you do, and 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 it may not physically be what makes you good, but mentally it makes you think, okay, I've, I'm this is the way I should be. And 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 if your and if your head's right, sometimes the hits follow and you're yeah. bat. And I think Weeders was was in that that good place last year um talking more and more like buck every day when he talks about things like that yeah he had a good look on his face (laughs) and so uh, (laughs) he was on his way to a big year and so that that would have been great for him and the orioles to have a defensive catcher who can hit 28 home runs and maybe drives in 80 so that would be a great thing to have a catcher who has the defense of weeders and who can hit say 28 home runs driving 85 runs you don't see that around the game much buster posey can do it but not many other catchers can yeah uh, what about Davis? What do you see for him this year? I, I think we're looking at a year that's in the middle of the last two. He's not going to hit 53, but he won't fall off to 26. Yes. And he sure as heck shouldn't be hitting 196. Right. Uh, MLB Network did a fascinating video last night, and they showed uh, multiple 
uh, pitches where pitchers are getting him out up and in. You know, they're busting him in with a fastball in on his hands, and he can't extend his hands like he likes to. When he hit all those home runs two years ago, he got pitched away, 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 away. Yeah. And everything, and he was driving the ball out of the ball because he could extend the hands yes. and the bat. When you pitch a slugger inside like that, and he's kind of tied up a little bit, yep. he can't quite get his power to the ball. Yeah. And especially if you have a little velocity on it. So the book is out on how they got Davis out. So now it's up to him to adjust to that. Yeah. Or not swing at the pitches. As uh, the one commentator pointed out, a lot of the pitches he swung at were not strikes. If he right. just takes them, it'll be called a ball. Right. So they look inviting because it's up, it's up, it's high pitch it's at your belt it's it's inside corner it looks to the hitter it looks very inviting but it's hard to drive that ball yeah so the best play is to take it ball two and then wait for a pitch where they don't it can't get you out with so I think he's going to bounce back I don't know if we'll ever quite see what he did a couple years ago and so the the exemption for the the drug he's going to take for the yeah. ADHD yep. attention deficit disorder should help him too and his teammates have done a good job I think of first last year letting him know you let us down but now this year letting him know you're one of us we yeah. got your back come on yeah. you did the time you said what you needed to say. You made a mistake. Let's not beat you up for this for the next six months. You're our guy. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, it helped that we went deep into the playoffs last year because he only misses opening day, right? Opening day. And that's one it. More game. One he more game. Could have ended his suspension. We could have beat Kansas City one time. I just, know. just one game. I know. Uh, he he would have been ready for opening day. Uh, well, I guess uh, another quick question. Manny, yeah. he's got both knees. Finally yeah. repairing. Yeah, knock on wood for him. I mean, I, I'm hoping that truly his knees are good to go, uh, that this will not be like, you know, on the Raven side of thing, like a Dennis Pitta issue where he seems to have a lifelong injury right. that he's not going to heal from. I mean, Manny's looked good. Correct? Manny has looked real good, and he, again, is very uh, – you, you're around these players enough that you kind of get a sense of their mood. And Manny last year, he went through that bat-throwing incident, which yeah. was his fault. He yeah, made a mistake. Yeah. He got skewered by fans, and he was very sullen. You know, it was a tough – he just – the kid was just, you know, a lot, you know, some of it was his own doing, as we know. Sure. And so I think he's turned the page and all that. I think he feels I have two repaired knees. And so, but you know what? Until he plays a long period of time, we're not going to know for sure. Yeah. And so, but I do think that doubt is not in his mind. It's in ours. Yeah. In other words, I think he feels really good about where he's at physically. But I do think it's, it's right for fans and reporters to look at it and go, well, we got to see if he holds up. I think he will. Yeah. But until he does... We haven't seen it. Yeah. Uh, you don't think it was a mistake? Because my, my, I'm fine with all of the guys we lost. Cruz, no way. Four years, price tag too much. I, yeah. I think we can all see that. Much as we loved him. I mean, what a, what a beloved player. Um, Miller bothered me, Steve. I right. loved Andrew Miller. He just seemed like such a weapon. And now he's in stinking New York. And, um, I mean, what, what was the rationale for just losing him? Again, price? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a reliever at eight, ten, twelve million. It happened with Jim Johnson. Yep. They reached a price tag where they said we're not going to do it, which worked and out so quite well for us. The thing about Miller, and I'm not going to say he can't be great again because he can be. Yeah. Take go look at the stat sheet of his last two years before 14. Okay. He was walking four per nine innings last year. Was way down. Yeah. He 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 picked a good time to have the best year of his life, and sure. he was dominant. And it looks to me like he will be again. I think two things are going to be tough for him moving forward is, is New York. Yeah. In New York, they don't – one misstep and you're, you're in the doghouse with yeah. the fans. Baltimore's a little more forgiving. 
If he comes out and doesn't get off to a great start with that money, he'll start getting booed and they'll get on him. And who knows how he'll handle that. But, I mean, we know the talent that, the, that we saw. Was yeah. an, I mean, he only pitched 20 innings for the Orioles, not counting playoffs. It was an amazing 20 innings. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he he would come out, and it was just plus yeah. his his height, his his dominance. You're right; it was the, it, the slider was is so good. Yeah, and as he told me, and I didn't really think of it in this term until he explained it to me, because he's another player who's very smart. Yeah, this guy is a sharp guy. Uh, he takes talent and smarts, and yeah. the best players usually do. And he mentioned you think about the slider getting out left-handed hitters, but he told me how he used it against right-handed hitters. He would throw it so it would end up basically at their feet. Yeah. But it's in the middle of the plate. But when you're swinging at it, and then it's such a late sharp break that by the time the bat gets to the ball, you, you can't do much with it. Yeah. So he would use the slider as a great pitch against right-handed hitters, and most left-handed pitchers would not. Yeah. Because uh, you're afraid of hanging that thing. Sure, But sure. he was so good with it. You know, it's like, it's like, why don't all pitchers do that? Well, they can't command the baseball like Miller. Yeah. They throw a slider to a right-handed hitter. They leave it in the middle of the plate. It's over the left center field wall. Yeah. And, and the media's going, why did he throw a slider right in the middle of the plate? But right. if you throw it down and in, yeah. and it winds up at his shoe tops, you can get him out. Yeah. yeah. So Miller, I, he, was, he was devastating. I wonder how many... Uh, uh, how many Orioles fans' hearts will be quite heavy if he shuts us down? Oh, that'll be what, painful for you know, the Orioles fans to see. Games this season <laughs> or with something the, like that. With pinstripes and oh, uh, blow them away in so, the eighth inning or something. So tough. Yeah. Um, hey, I, I uh, have to ask, when you talk about that combination of, um, you know, athletic ability, smarts, sounds like classic Mike, Mike Mussina. Uh, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you ever talk with him? Because I know, oh, he, yeah. I knew he had a reputation as not being the most – giving welcoming presence to the media he's not the warmest person you've ever met yeah uh personally with me i never had an interaction with mike where i thought you know come on mike but i saw it okay and so that was disappointing to me because this is a very smart i think with mike it was like i'm smart and i know i'm smarter right than you. yeah <laughs> okay right uh andrew miller's smart but he doesn't walk around like i'm smarter than you right but he's very savvy about how he pitches and gets people out and a lot of players are but mike just had that air about him that stanford thing i don't know yeah no knock on any stanford grads but uh I, he just seemed to carry himself in a way and, and when i was at wbal i i had some drop down arguments with some reporters and fans because i criticized him for not going deeper in games yeah and I know Mike had this philosophy of, I got seven innings, I did my job. Okay. And Mike was like, well, wait a second. Yeah. Get eight innings and do your sure. job even better. Yeah. Rick Sutcliffe, you can't drag that guy off the mound. Right. If you could put Rick Sutcliffe's heart in Mike Messina's body. Yeah. He's, he, I think Mike's a Hall of Famer, but, yeah. but he would be a big, better Hall of Famer. Um, you know, great pitcher. He's not the greatest Oriole pitcher ever. That's Jim Palmer. Sure, no doubt. You can't convince me of that. Yeah. Some might try to make that argument. Um, but, uh, yeah, interesting guy who I, I witnessed Mike not be nice. Interesting guy, but I did witness Mike uh, not be the nicest person on a few occasions, and I uh, wasn't uh, too comfortable to see it. But, I mean, I, I don't want to make it sound like he was a, a bad guy every day, but I, sure. I, saw, I saw Mike sometimes on not his best days. But I do think Mike now – uh, has a warm feeling about Baltimore. You know, he came back in yeah, the Oriole yeah, Hall of great. Fame. That was great. And I think he and I think I think most Oriole fans, but not all for sure, yeah. have uh, embraced him again. But he signed with the Yankees, so yeah. he's just not going to win some fans back because of that. Yes. And and uh, am I right on this, Steve? That. Uh, he, he never won with the Yankees, right? When he was there, they he, never went to... They I, didn't, I mean, no. Yeah. 
They didn't. And, you know, his stats were better as an Oriole with worse teams. Yes. His individual statistics uh, are a little better with the Orioles and never got the ring. He finally got a 20-win season his last year. Right. Before he retired. But uh, I think he's coaching kids in Montoursville, which is a wonderful little town in yeah. Pennsylvania. And and uh, I know his brother. And, uh, you know, it's a good that's a good family. And and so uh, I guess we should I, should. I was a little hard on Mike there, but I think, uh, you know. He'll be fine. No, yeah, I think all he's got to do is <laughs> his checkbook is going to be fine. Look at his bank account. It says I can live with Steve's. And actually, I think they were very kind comments, uh, Steve. I've heard I've heard much much worse uh, related to him, no doubt. Uh, and real quick, Palmer, uh, I've never quite gotten why there would be a debate. I mean, to me, uh, not I mean, being uh, a novice fan in many ways, but that was back during a four man rotation correct right so he pitched more often mm-hmm. i don't know is it just me it seemed like guys didn't get injured as much back then in those days maybe that's just you know nostalgia uh, looking I through think a haze. they pitched through some of it i think there wasn't uh the caution there is now the money in the game now now the first hint of something in your oh shut him down let yeah. him, sit him out for a couple of weeks and so in palmer's day i think there were little, it was like oh you're just it's a little nagging thing and you know, we all feel it sure and there might have been guys pitching through things that today they would never let him pitch right through. right um and it would just uh yeah it's it seemed like there were fewer injuries he had some major ones early in his career he missed almost uh, two full seasons I think yeah and then uh, of course at age 20 won a World Series game against Sandy Koufax yeah incredible so and I, I'm, I'll, I'll brag on myself for 30 seconds here yeah. Co- a couple weeks ago this was a special night for me the Babe Ruth Museum had a special uh, intimate gathering with Jim Palmer and Brooks Robinson wow. at the at the downtown casino near the ballpark at one of the ballrooms in the casino and I got asked to host that now that wow. was for a kid from Baltimore it's still, it's still to me to be around guys like Jim and Brooks. That's wow. special to this day. Sure. And so uh, I was on stage with Jim Palmer and Brooks Robinson, yeah. asking them questions and working, working with the crowd. And the next day, or a couple of days later, was Fan Fest. And I said to Palmer, hey, we had fun. That was a good night. And he looked at me and he goes, that's because you asked such good questions. Wow. Wow. Man. I can't get a better compliment I was say, than that. That's, that, that's, that's a about... walk off. Go home. We're done. We're done <laughs> that's, here. That's great. I'm sensing, Steve, you probably had a greater sense of purpose and satisfaction than maybe this morning on this podcast. I'm just guessing. Uh, you know what? I've had a great sense of satisfaction on this podcast, too. And so, hey, uh, your, your friend and mine, Scott Perry, what a great Aura fan. Yes. I, I shouldn't leave this without saying uh, such a good friend he is to all, both of us, all of us yeah. mm-hmm. here. And I know all the folks here at, at, at your church. And so... Uh, Great guy, great Oriole fan, great father. His two kids, yes, I think the best thing uh, he ever did in his life yeah. is raise Jared and Jordan, two great boys, so They're I know you boys. know. Yeah. And so uh, I'm going to brag on Scott for a second. Oh, here. man. Uh, Nathan, let's make sure we hit the editing. I know. I know. That <laughs> didn't that take, point. did it? No, <laughs> no. no. Uh, I echo that. Um, uh, last baseball question, then we'll wrap right. up. AL East predictions. I still have the Orioles on top because I think uh, they're the most well-rounded when you look at offense, pitching, and defense. They're a deep team that's going to tap into their AAA yep. for some pitching and, and prospects like Dariel Alvarez this year. They've got the mastermind in the dugout, yep, no and they've doubt. got Dan Duquette, who we've seen will make trades in July yes. to make the final push. So yep. the, People talk about what they didn't do in the winter. Dan's made more trades in July than at any other time. Good point. So don't put it past him. If the Orioles need a reliever or something that they don't have, yeah. they're, they're more offense for Dan to pull the trigger on something to help them in the final months. Uh, I like Toronto second, uh, okay. ahead of Boston, because I like 
uh, the acquisitions they made of uh, Martin and Donaldson, yeah. two key players, and I like their young arms, like Daniel Norris, uh, better than Boston's pitching. So I've got Toronto a little bit ahead of Boston, and New York probably fourth, and Tampa Bay, they're really been decimated by injuries, yeah. uh, which they could not afford in their pitching. So I got them fifth. Yeah, and, and they're without uh, a Joe Madden now. Without right? Joe and, and the general Chicago. manager. Friedman's in Los Angeles running yeah. the Dodgers, and Joe Madden's the manager of the Cubs. So we'll see how the new brain trust does uh, for Tampa. They'll probably always be pretty good. I think they've got a lot of sharp people in that front office with Tampa Bay, yeah. but I just don't think – uh, they're going to they're, – of these five teams right now, I just see them as the worst of the five. Steve, let me give you my unbiased assessment. I, I right. like your assessment just you know, from, from a statistical standpoint. It would be no nice if it plays out that way. As long as Bulmer's number one, we don't care what happens. I was going to say, I don't – and Nathan Boston can even be number two. I don't care. As long as Steve is right about uh, about that. Steve, I would, uh, I would invite you to church here this Sunday. It is Easter Sunday. Uh, I'd like to invite you when there's a good person preaching. Uh, so Unfortunately, I can't. you're preaching. I know, Sunday, right? I know. So, uh, Nathan, check the preaching calendar. We get Steve to visit That's here right. on a better Sunday. But, um, no, it's been great having you, Steve. Thank Absolutely. You. Yeah, and we're going to go ahead and wrap up now. just want to say a couple things real quick. Greg, thank you so much um, for willing to be here. I know your back's been killing you. Oh. Um, so thank you so much. And taking the lead on this because, um, you know, we, we joke around and say that I'm, I'm a New England fan, but really – um, sports aren't a big deal to me. So um, thank you for, for jumping in and, and asking those sports questions that I absolutely have no idea what I'd be talking about. He's, um, he's good at this. He is, isn't he? <laughs> yes. But, but, but look how much more enlightened you've become, Nathan. That's right. As a result of this podcast. That's right. <laughs> See? You know, I was sitting over here playing my Game Boy. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Miller? Who's that? Is that a Civil um, War general? <laughs> um, and Steve, thank you so much. And if it's agreeable to you, you know, maybe uh, about mid-season, we could have you back. And sure. Get an update from you on what you're thinking, and then awesome. at the end of the season as well, just uh, thoughts. And going somewhere into the late in the one, year, so. the three of us get Scott, and we go to one, to Brooklyn and watch a game. Oh, now, that would be a day. That, that would be awesome. That would be great. That would be yeah, awesome. I would be all up for that. So we're going to go ahead and sign off now. And uh, Greg, we just rocked the Caspa. I'd say Steve Molesky, radio professional, rocked it twice as hard as usual today. Thank you. Thank you. These go to eleven.